today on Growth Mindset University. I want to sell this, so I need to go on YouTube and I need to act like Gary Vee. It's like, <laughs> okay, slow down. Why do you want to be like TV? Why do you want to be on YouTube? You're listening to Growth Mindset University, educating tomorrow's leaders with lessons from today's entrepreneurial elite. It's a progressive new age of business we find ourselves in, and we'll help you find the success you seek by listening to today's industry professionals and thought leaders teach us the lessons we should have learned in school but didn't. Now, please welcome your host, Jordan Paris. Your four pairs of headphones, okay. I, yeah, well, we work through the technology. It's okay. I just had like, a headphones kind of day because I had the new AirPods coming, but there are sent to the wrong address oh, and I sent my Bose ones back because they were broken. So this has just been like a headphones week, but we're all good. We can, uh, yeah, we can just get been, going. It's been a headphones week, <laughs> but uh, hey, Amanda, I'm like so in learn mode right now. I'm just excited Me for too. this one. And uh, so, so what I'll do, I will introduce you. Sure. Okay. And then we will rock and roll. Perfect. Love it. Deal. Okay. Love it. My guest today is Amanda Slavin. Amanda is the founder and CEO of the award-winning brand consulting firm Catalyst Creative, the author of The Seventh Level, and the creator of The Seventh Level Engagement Framework. Amanda guides brands like Coca-Cola, Google, and WeWork to more meaningfully connect with their customers and to improve their bottom lines. Amanda has spoken at events like SXSW, TED, and Inbound about The Seventh Level the future of audience loyalty, and how to more deeply engage with employees. Her writing has been featured in outlets such as Inc., Forbes, Fast Company, The Wall Street Journal, and Time. Amanda Slavin, welcome to Growth Mindset University. Thank you so much. I'm pumped to be here and uh, to chat about all things growth. Yeah, so l- let's let's give ourselves like a virtual high five here. We both released best-selling books on Amazon this week. Like, come on. Oh my on. gosh, yeah. amazing. I love you and it. I, you and I both. So the seventh level, you can get the seventh level. It's a number one bestseller right now on Amazon. Uh, and uh, let's see, amandaslavin.com, right? Yep, or the-seventhlevel.com. Is okay, the awesome. And then... Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to give too 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 much here. But but catalystcreative.com is also uh, your other website. Creative without uh, with it's creatively without an, spelled. Yeah, without so it's an like, e on yeah, the end. it's like creativity minus the ity or creative <laughs> minus the e, and it's great yeah. for SEO for search engine optimization. So catalystcreativenoe at the end dot com. Well, that was creative. How'd you come up with that? <laughs> we literally looked uh, like if you look up catalyst creative as two separate words, an extreme it's extremely difficult to any get any traffic. But catalyst creative with noe at the end gets tons of traffic. But the whole point was this idea of how could we catalyze bring passive consumers into active participants, being a catalyst to tap into their creativity within them. Um, we almost essentially turn the word creativity into a shortened word to be able to then have catalyst creative. It's like a phrase, if you yeah, will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we're, we're going to get into all of that today, but I want to I want to start with something I never started with before, and this could go like terribly wrong, and this is like totally just me being weird and all good. And, I, and again, I've never done this before, but who's your favorite superhero, Amanda? Well, I'm obsessed with Marvel, so I'm. This is very funny that you asked me such a thing. Um, you know, I 
I just recently, my my husband got me very much into all these Marvel movies and into into uh, Star Wars and into Lord of the Rings and into things that I never necessarily thought I would love, but he loves so much. Over the past like five six years, I've I'm obsessed with Marvel, um, but I don't necessarily know if I like any one of the superheroes. I like them all together. Like my favorite movies are the Avengers movies. I guess I'm like kind of a sellout in that way. Um, but I really like when they all come together and they collaborate and they kind of pull from each other's, you know, superheroes, superhero status. So like, I love Spider-Man, but I also love, you know, Captain Marvel and I love Iron Man and, and I love Black Panther. And I also love, you know, the new Captain America. Like, I mean, in terms, I like all of them. So, but I'm more of a Marvel person than a DC person. So I'll kind of at least sway. That will be my long answer to a short question. I like all of the Marvel superheroes. Why, why do you tend to gravitate to, to Marvel then? Um, well, I, I really... I, I really do like the interpretation of the way that Batman has, you know, in the past few years, like 15 years, um, made Batman way more human, but it's very dark for me. And it's just, I'm, I'm scared easily. So I get very scared by even the Batman movies. Um, the reason why I do like Marvel over DC is I do feel that there's, you know, I think that what Stan Lee did for, for comics and for storytelling has been unbelievable because he created this real, humanity within these characters and i know the executive producer of batman when they actually when he brought batman to life in that dark way learned a lot from stanley um and he's a friend of mine and actually was very inspired not stanley <laughs> michael uslan from the batman executive producer um and was really really inspired by the stanley's approach to creating these very human like characters so i love marvel because they just do a really excellent job at being able to tell you know real human stories but through this superhero lens I'd love to hear it. Respect. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the, the, Super into it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I gotta, I, I gotta uh, catch up on my my superhero movies. I'm, I'm, I have not like, I'm just not a movie guy. Uh, oh, the Marvel movies are but, pretty great. But yeah, I gotta, I gotta start watching some. Yeah, some you could movies. just watch the I'm, the new Avengers and be pretty much caught up. Watch the new Avengers. Okay, maybe, I, maybe I do something like that tonight. I got, I got a free night, but. Okay, so like let let's move on. This is not the superhero podcast. All right, so so Amanda, you know, before you know, you got into your career and what you're doing like right now. Is it correct? You were a former teacher. You're a school teacher. Is that correct? Yes, yes. I have a master's in um, in education. I was a teacher for first graders, and then during my master's year, I taught um, middle school and um, also did had my thesis wrote my thesis uh -huh. within a third grade classroom. So lots of different years. And how long did that last? So, you know, I, I was a teacher during my senior year. I was a student teacher. And then during my master's year was when I also taught. So it was really two years, but it was during while I was getting my, my actual education. Um, and during that time, I was also throwing events on the side to make extra money. So, you know, I would, um. I would go to school and I would be a teacher. And then during the summers, I was a camp counselor. And then at, you know, at night and on the weekends, I was throwing parties in New York City. Uh, so I like kind of was living a dual life that entire time. Um, but I, you know, was in, a, it was a very uh, prestigious program called the NEAG School of Education at my university. And to get into that program, we needed a lot of 
experience with children. So from the time I was a sophomore, sophomore, I was in classrooms. So whether that was in some of the worst school districts in our entire country, I was interning, you know, for elementary schools and I was interning as a, you know, in high schools. And so from the time I was a sophomore every single semester until, you know, I was in my, my master's year, I was in different classrooms. So while I taught for two years, um, I was very much immersed within the education system in all different parts of New Jersey and Connecticut and, and really, saw a lot of the pros and cons to the way that we're educating our children. Oh, what are some of the cons? <laughs> we we look, look, we talk about that all the time. James Altucher and I for 45 mm-hmm. minutes we're we're harping on why formal education is a huge scam. So, uh, what are the what are some some of the cons? Yeah, well, you know, I I actually wrote my thesis on engagement because I think of some of the cons, which are that it's not really, first of all, I always say that teachers should be the most highly paid profession that there is because they are working harder than anyone else. And they are the most important people to our our nation's future, to the world's future, because they're educating future citizens. And I don't think we give them enough credit. Um, but the system and the structure is not really set up for them. And, you know, we, we, as, and I consider myself an educator to this day, it's like, you know, the systems are really set up to teach to the middle, um, to really have to prove yourself in terms of, uh, you know, grades and scores, um, based on what I realized were kind of lower levels of engagement. And that's, and that's really why I was so obsessed with engagement was I wanted to look at, okay, the way that we've set up these classrooms are we tell children to sit in chairs and we, you know, we talk to them as teachers when they know so much more information than, you know, when we were kids, when I was a kid, at least, you know, a teacher or a parent would tell me, this is what the answer is. And I would just take it you know, for granted, I would be like, okay, you're right, you're an adult. And now kids are like, that's not right. Like Google told me, that's not true. Yeah. Um, so they have so much more information and so much more knowledge than we ever will. And so teachers need to, you know, well, again, the environment needs to be set up to be more conducive to collaborative learning and, you know, the creative process and and not necessarily, again, just test scores and just grades. Um, and that's extremely difficult because the system has been around for so long. It's not as easy as just like, you know, creating new programs and new structures and new systems. They need to really dive. It's almost like a root canal. Like we need to really dive deep within why that system has lasted so long and how we can improve upon that to support teachers in the process. Not just say like, well, we know better because, you know, we're all entrepreneurs and we've solved so many other problems so we could solve education. It's like, no, these teachers are like painstakingly doing everything they can to help these children. They're just not set up for success. So what is, how can we change the definition of success to support these educators and in doing the jobs that they really work so hard to do? Yeah. I, and I, I think about it too. Like I, I started thinking about it a lot in, in high school, like these teachers got to take home stuff like they got to read through all these essays and all these math problems and check for errors and i i don't i was wondering like how's the teacher right with these math problems 100 percent of the time it's like they they i swear they are you know other than like you know every now and then they'll make a mistake on the board when they're doing it but like yeah i i think uh i think these the you know these teachers from like k-12 they're you know they're working you know they're working pretty hard i will say like in college a lot of it you know, a lot of it is like, you know, cookie cutter courses and, and kind of a oh, some some of these courses, the teacher has to do like nothing, you know, which is a different story. Uh, yes, I have, you know, the way that I feel about 
formal education and, and the university system is, is a bit different. But I still believe that the teacher... So it's almost like the iceberg effect. Like a teacher showing up to a lecture, even a teacher in, in K through 12 showing up to the classroom is the iceberg. It's curriculum development that takes a ton of work. And I don't think people know what people mm-hmm. throw around the word curriculum too. This is like in business, everyone's like now knows what a curriculum means, but they truly don't, they, they don't know how much time, you know, teachers don't get the summer off. They're working all summer to build the curriculum. And, you know, even when you go to these gen ed classes and yes, some professors like, you know, we, we I can't say like, some professors have been there for quite some time and probably are checked out and they're like, I have tenure, I don't really care. But some professors are spending all of oh, that yes. summer, you know, doing that research that it takes for them to come to the classroom and actually provide an education. But I was reading an article recently, which was really interesting about, you know, kind of how mass media, politics and education have changed so dramatically because of the, um, you know, just the overabundance of information and how, how colleges and universities used to be these places with, you know, the top tier amount of information and knowledge. So you would go to Harvard or Princeton, you would, you know, have these libraries of information that you could not get anywhere else. But now there's access to information everywhere. So it's a very different reason why people go to college. They go to college for the signaling, you know, that they are prestigious, that they have earned themselves into a network. And so, you know, I think that, I think the way we are learning is changing. Um, But, you know, if colleges exist because we validate those types of you know, those types of accreditations and we validate those types of diplomas, you know, while we're hiring. So again, it's so complex and convoluted. I, I like to, I don't like to be so black and white, which is like bad education. This is bad or this is yeah, good. Yeah, it's like, yeah. so it's like a ball of yarn. Yeah. Um, and I just like to think of it like, okay, well, what are things that I know I can solve as one person? Uh, and, and, and really again, kind of give credit where credit is due, which is to, teachers and professors i don't think that they've created this this system they're just a cog in the wheel yeah exactly yeah Yeah. that's a good point to make but i want to let's go back to like okay so you're a teacher but you're throwing these events on the side so like the way i see it you're kind of mitigating the risk of like just quitting your day job and going for it all with like your own company like i don't know if this is going to work is this an accurate assessment? Like, was this the plan all along, or, or it, did you did you even like set out to create a company? No, I was, you know, I was teaching and throwing events on the side to just make extra money, and it just happened that you know I was twenty years old and I was really good at bringing people together, and you know, Facebook just came out totally aging myself, but like it wasn't what it was today where everyone uses it for everything. Like back then, if you were kind of a pioneer on Facebook, leveraging it to throw events, like this is like old school promoter days, um, then you could really, you know, create kind of a, a, a revenue stream for yourself. So I was throwing parties. I, and I, this is always the type of person I've been, I've always like had everyone in the entire class invited to my birthday parties. Like I threw a party for friends when I was three years old to put myself down. I was like, I love bringing people together. Um, You're an extrovert. I am an extrovert. Yeah. I mean, and now I'm really tired all the time because I think I've like met the capacity of human beings that I could possibly meet on this on this earth. But yes, I'm an extrovert. Um, so I realized I could make extra money throwing these events. And then it was 2009 when I graduated with my master's, which was, you know, the worst recession of our time. Mm. And teachers were getting laid off. And, you know, they weren't even people that were like, about to make tenure were, were not necessarily even g- getting tenure, getting access to their pensions. Like it was a disaster. So I, I really 
recognized that there was an opportunity for me to go a separate route um, and be able to leverage this network that I had built. Um, And everyone, by the time I graduated, again, everyone kind of thought in New York City that I was already throwing events um, and that I was already having my own company. So I ended up actually getting a full-time job with the hospitality group and I helped open multiple restaurants with them. And I grew my career with them over, you know, four and a half, five years, became a partner in that restaurant group. And then I ended up combining this understanding of education, engagement, you know, inspirational messaging with my understanding of branding, events and marketing. But I didn't just jump into my own company. Like I actually did go weirdly the safe, the safe direction, which was, you know, a job that I knew would at least make me money then and there. Um, and just a job because jobs were not as plentiful as they are today. Yeah. You're talking a lot about, you know, in your your new book to the seventh level plug. Get the seventh level on Amazon. Come on, <laughs> the seventh level, number one bestseller. <laughs> I hope it's still a bestseller by the time this comes out. I, I, it, it'll be. This will come out in like two two and a half months. That's my that's my time frame now. The, I hope your book has that type of longevity. I think it Me will. Me too. Yeah, yeah. So, but get the book. Help if it's not there. Get it back to number one. Uh, so like, okay, back to like my, my question before I distract myself, uh, (laughs) tell us what you mean by, you know, increasing engagement with your audience and your employees. Tell us what you mean by that. So I wrote my thesis on engagement when I was a teacher. So while I was getting my master's in education, I actually wrote about the seventh level, which is defined as something called literate thinking. It's when your personal values and beliefs align with a message. So that is what I wrote about within a classroom setting. And I studied what that engagement looked like with students. Then when I ended up in the hospitality industry, I realized that I could really leverage my understanding of engagement, you know, uh, connection or whatever attention um, with customers because I started to see that the way that I connected with my students were which were were really identifying where they fit into these seven distinct levels um, and walking them through this process of how can I connect, you know, with a passive consumer, which is all the way at level one, which is defined as disengagement, and bring them to an active participant in learning, Mm. which was the seventh level, literate thinking. How could I do that same thing but from a marketing perspective within sales? How can I bring a passive consumer, you know, who might not necessarily want to engage with me or might not necessarily care about what I'm doing and turn them into an active participant helping me build a brand? Um, And so I tested that, you know, theory out, that framework out within marketing and hospitality. And then when I met my business partner, my business partner is Tony Shea, who's the CEO of Zappos, and he's really passionate about corporate culture and customer service and going the extra mile and creating an environment where people feel heard and seen and loved. And I, you know, really felt like there was this opportunity to take my understanding of that again, of engagement, of connection, of attention in the classroom, as well as within an environment of, you know, marketing and branding experiential and turn that into a company. And so I started the company with Tony. And for me, again, engagement is, is this meaningful connection. You know, it's this, it's this, it's not just likes or followers or comments. That's, it's not how we have currently defined engagement by the tools that have told us what engagement looks like. That's actually level four, structure dependent engagement, structure dependent engagement. Oh instruction-based engagement. Do this, do that. Comment below, like this post, share this post. Mm. So we're settling well, for level four when we when we can yeah. be starting for the seventh level. So like if you're at the seventh level, like you wouldn't even need to say comment below. You it's just it. automatic. 
Correct. So yeah, correct. Yeah. So like level one then is like you know they're just scrolling. They're they're not you know engaging with your with your content with yep. your brand with your company at all. Yep. Seventh level, it's it's complete opposite. They're full on engaged. Exactly. And okay. I you know I can certainly define each and every level. We have tons of free resources for people to be able to yep. learn. We've broken out the levels into three buckets. The bottom three are around attracting your customer or your employee. The middle two are around engaging, interacting with, and then the top two are around delighting the sixth and seventh level. Um, but exactly right. You know, the seventh level customer is someone that is obsessed with you. That's a brand advocate. That's so loyal to you. That's sharing about, about who they, they align with you. They feel really deeply connected to what you stand for, not just what you sell. Well, look, I got a, I got a predicament here. So like, or not, or someone, this is someone else's predicament. It's not mine. Like, you know, what if you're that person? I, I saw in a Facebook forum today, I think it was in like, uh, a, a podcast community with like 20,000 members. I think it was like podcast movement or something. And someone said like, does it, does anyone else feel like they're just talking to themselves when they post on social media and they, they try to market their podcast and, and, you know, people in the comments were like, yeah, man, I feel you. And I'm looking at it like, wow, this is so sad. And that is like the vast majority, unfortunately, like, you know, their brand is struggling to capture you know, uh, two likes or, or, or three, uh, you know, so if you're that person, uh, what, what do you do to move up the ranks here, move up, like, you know, get to the, at least like the second level, what, what can I do? Yeah. So I think a lot of the times, well, first of all, the way that the framework works is you start with your own seventh level statement. So we teach people before you can connect with others, personal, other personal values and beliefs, you have to know your own. So we, we have something on our website that literally helps you formulate your own seventh level statement around what do you stand for? What do you believe in? Mm. Why do you have to exist? You know, if you didn't exist, who would care? Um, and then from there, you use that in the, as the lens in which you connect with others and go through the process. And again, it's like, it's much more nuance than me just saying like, do this, do that, because each level has an action, a question, and a goal associated with it. So you can start to see like, okay, why aren't people responding to me properly? At dis- they're disengaged, level one. Maybe they're the right wrong audience. Maybe I'm on the wrong platforms. Maybe it's the wrong time of day. So you start to ask yourself questions to guide you to level two, which is unsystematic engagement when someone's confused by the messaging. So it's not that they're the wrong person. It's that you're saying the wrong thing to the wrong per- to the right person. And then level three is frustrated engagement, which is when they want to engage with their distress. So each level, you have these different definitions and actions, questions, goals. But to simplify this for what you just asked me, a lot of people think that the product is enough. And, you know, I I have this like joke with a friend. I bought the domain, the podcast of podcasts, because there's just so many podcasts. I wanted to interview people on my podcast that had podcasts because it was like very meta just to like sip through the podcast because there's just so many. So I think that people, you know, will see something on social media They'll be confused by the messaging. Let's just say they're at level two and they're like, I should start a podcast. Like that's what's going to get me to be successful. And they're forgetting this very important step, which is that seventh level statement. What do they personally stand for? What do they personally believe in? And then going through that process and asking themselves, who is the customer that's going to connect with that? that personal statement and what is the messaging and what is the customer journey level three and then level four structure dependent engagement. What am I asking them to do? And so 
when you go through this process, you can ask yourself, is a podcast the right platform for me to be communicating what I personally stand for, what I personally believe in, and to the right audience? And so what I would say to those people is, okay, well, what differentiates you? And what else are you talking to them about? And what other values are you offering? And level five, I've gone through even one through four very quickly, is self-regulated interest, which is when you're piquing someone's interest or getting them excited. So how are you incentivizing these people to even listen to you? So, you know, there's, there's so much that it's not it's so much more nuanced than like and you know this because you've built an audience and you've built a platform but it's so that's the whole point of the seventh level process is it's not so easy as you have an idea you can do it anyone can do it and now people are gonna listen it's like if you build it they won't come like there needs to be a structure and a process and and this framework shows how much time energy and effort it takes to build an audience to build a business and Anyone can do it if they take the time, energy, and effort, but they might not all do it the same way. Mm. So not everyone should have a podcast. And even if they do, not everyone should market to the same people that are listening to everyone else's podcast. They need you know, separate tactics to communicate their, the differentiation that they have in the market that is, is really what they stand for. Yeah, you know, people see Gary V and you know, the, and the titles that that he uses, yeah. like, and and it like the same tactics that Gary V uses, they don't work for someone who's getting who's at level one. They they really don't like, especially because I was talking with someone, uh, not on the podcast, but just a conversation, like someone you know who who's much more successful on YouTube than I. I don't try on YouTube, like I I've just I don't care about it. Uh, but this person was trying to teach it to me and you know he's got like 2000 subscribers so i i see that like that's like i equate that to like 2 million followers on instagram cuz i it's i think it's that hard oh it is and like yeah yeah it is and uh but he's like telling me you know he, w- w- what he's learned with with youtube is like you know first of all the titles everything uh, or, or so he says uh, or so i interpreted it i don't want to put words in his mouth um you know, he would make these title changes, uh, and you know, and it's like, bam, you know, he'd be getting like way more views like every single day. But like, you know, if he if 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 he were to use like you know a, a you know a clickbaity title like like Gary V, um, you know, it doesn't. I forget how he described it to me, but it just doesn't um, doesn't work. Like Gary V can like rank for for those for those words uh, for like the word success, but like you can't really like rank for that. I, I don't know if- I, I fully get I, it. It, No, I it, fully get what you're I saying. I thought about it better in my head. No, no, no. I fully understand what you're saying. First of all, I love that you said that YouTube isn't necessarily your platform because knowing what doesn't define you is just as important as what Ooh. does. So putting your energy and effort, again, into the wrong things will keep you at lower levels of engagement with your customer. And the whole framework is there for you to look at yourself, not blame others and be like, well, they just don't get me. Well, they're just not connecting with me. It's what can I do better? How can I grow? So I love that you said that because you're like, that's not necessarily my thing. That might not be even where my audience is. Maybe it is. Yeah. Maybe I can determine that later through a proper, again, going through this process. But as of now, I know this is where my audience lives, which is, again, my audience will be disengaged if I'm using the wrong platform. But what I will say to you about, you know, I, I've known Gary Vee for quite some time and probably, you know, for nine years. And I have watched him, you know, he's first of all, first to, he's one of the first to market. Um, he is, and he just came up about a, on another podcast. And I wrote a LinkedIn post quite a while and I, ago and I said, like, if Gary Vee was a woman, would he 
be able to say the things he does? Would he be as successful? And a lot of white men like chimed in and it was actually a very positive, productive conversation. And they were like, no. Um, but the thing about Gary Vee, I don't think that they would just because of the nature of the society that we're a part of. And I don't think that that society is really it's not necessarily, again, uh, a, a woman's brand to be that like forthright and that intense and that bossy and that like it doesn't mm. really come across as. Is there you know, anyone comparable like that? In well, that's what I asked, wow. um, and a lot of the women that are leaders who are unbelievably eloquent and well spoken and communicative and strong are still. And again, Gary V's Gary V, and I think. That's the whole point of this is that we can't just mimic what we see someone else doing. And and that in marketing, we talk about this in terms of like everyone uses this word authenticity. And it's like, okay, Gary V is authentically Gary V. That's just who he is. That's how he is. I mean, if you meet him, he just acts like that. That's just who he is as a person, you know? And he and he has this really genuine side and he's very soft side. And he's, you know, really cares about his family and he talks about that too. But like his personality is who he is. When we try to be something that we're not, we we misalign ourselves from our seventh level statements. Our seventh level statements are our North Star. It's what we strive for. It's what is our guiding force. It's that principle that should be constantly this reminder that we're going in the right direction, like a GPS. And I think what ends up happening is people will, till, you know, because of all this clickbait stuff and because of the internet, because of how fast information spreads we read something and we're like, I can be just like them and I'm just going to copy them and, and it's going to work for me. But it's not. And this guy, whoever this person is with the 2000 subscribers knows that he knows what he stands for, what differentiates him and then what words connect with his audience level two on systematic engagement so that they're not confused by the messaging. He's using the words to communicate his value proposition in a way that resonates with his smaller community instead of trying to you know, be Gary V and then everyone yeah. will see it through, see through it. Yeah. And you can relate this too to like the, the book world, you know, you see, we see these, these famous authors, like their career is writing. You look at Robert Green, you look at Mark Manson, uh, you know, uh, you know, you look at these, yeah, you look at these famous authors, they, they write these like big audacious, you know, relatively like general, you know, self-help books. And then people go out and try to mimic that. And it really doesn't work. What's, different what we should be doing as tucker max uh would say I, I spoke to tucker recently we didn't talk about this but i i've heard him talk about this before um you know he what what's best for you know for for someone like me to do is write a very like specific book like within your industry i just wrote a book the book i wrote was called the podcast playbook <laughs> Okay, like it's very, it's very specific. Why? Because we hire people, we like to hire people that quote unquote, wrote the book about it. You know, you become an authority. It, it doesn't, it's a different objective. Like these, these famous authors, they, they write this book every couple of years and they, and they hustle like hell to sell millions of copies. Uh, this, it, it, it's, they're, they're fundamentally like diff, different purposes. Uh, you know, from, different from like a career author and like, oh, I'm going to write a book. Like, you know, I already have a business. Like I see so many CEOs that, that write a book and it's just like, yeah, it flops, um, you know? Well, it's all about the intention and the why. And again, it's it's going back to that seventh level. Like for my seventh level statement is I believe that everyone deserves the right to be inspired and educated. So the book that I wrote was not necessarily like my memoir and about like my personal right. journey. It was almost like a 
modern day textbook to teach every single person how they can inspire and educate themselves and the world. So, you know, it's like, it goes back to not necessarily, and I, you know, I have also built a business over the past seven years and, you know, I have 10 team members all over the country and the world. And like it, it, that book is about all of us. Like, so it's, it's really, again, what is not just the why, but then the what, not necessarily just like, I want to sell this. So I need to go on YouTube and I need to act like Gary Vee. It's like, <laughs> okay, slow down. Yeah. Why do you want to be like Gary Vee? Why do you want to be on YouTube? What are you doing? Like, why are you doing this in the first place? Like, let's just take a beat. Um, and then helping that person get to that place because everyone, again, deserves that right to be inspired and to be excited about what they're doing every single day. Um, I just think people are really overwhelmed with, with how to mm. do it because there's, again, there's so much misinformation too out there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's good news for, for the people in level one and level two that, uh, you know, I, I, I I'm willing to bet that, you know, the, these people, they're, they're not uh, extremely intentional with you know the, with what defines them, what doesn't define them, like they haven't figured this stuff out yet, and they're they're not, they're not so intentional with you know with their brand and what they're posting that uh, you know the the way that you're saying you know will 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 bring you up you know more levels. But I will uh, so, say so there's hope. I have to say one thing. Yeah. So the levels are not defining where an in, in, so like oh. because I it's a it's the connection between. So mm. the levels define the connection. So it's like. I'm at a level one with this message, with this person, with this relationship. It's not like I'm at a level one and I suck. You know, it's like, so it's like I'm at a level one and all of those people are at the seventh level. No, it's my customer is at a level one with me or my customer is at a level two with me. So how do I get my customer to be able to be at higher levels with me? So that's just, a, it's something that I always like to really discern because those people that are starting out from scratch and have an idea and have a concept and have a belief. It's about using this framework to then walk their customers through this process of like, okay, my customers, a lot of them are at level one. How do I get that relationship and strive towards that connection with them at these higher levels? So I always just like to, you know, it's not, it's not like you're bad, you're good. It's like, this is, this is measuring what it looks like between me and someone else. Mm. So, so what else though? Like, you know, we talk about trying to imitate, Gary V trying to imitate these people. And and look, it happens in every in every industry, in every arena. A lot of sure. interviewers like, you know, they'll try to interview like uh Larry King style or Joe Rogan style or Lewis Howes' style. Mm-hmm. And it's or, or James Altucher style. And like that's a losing strategy because they they have those styles because that's what makes them most comfortable in their seat, which in turn, I think and this is and this is something from Cal Fussman who you've been interviewed mm-hmm. by. Uh, it, which in turn, it'll make, you know, the guest most comfortable in their seat. Like when I'm most comfortable, you're most comfortable, Amanda. And the only way I can be comfortable is like, if I'm being myself, not trying to be something I'm not. Yes. Uh, so we see, we see this in every industry, this, uh, this imitation. Uh, so that's a big mistake to do that. I would say, uh, what, what other, is there like another big area that, that we go wrong? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. You know, and Cal is a really close friend, and I've watched his career change over the years, which has been tremendous. Um, and he, in his podcast, we talk about kind of the essence of what makes a person a person, um, and how you know we go back and forth around. I 
we, Cal and I had a conversation where I essentially like, he was like, I'm an editor at Esquire. I'm like, no, you're not like, you're so much more than that. And I like kind of pulled the essence out of him. And I was like, you've always been this like master storyteller. And that's just one way you've told your stories. And I was able to kind of see him differently and, and mirror that back to him. And he was like, oh my gosh, you're right. Um, and then he was able to then determine how that lives in the world and what kind of products come from that place. So I think first and foremost, we don't necessarily recognize our own gifts because they come so naturally to us. Uh, and so it's not just necessarily imitation. It also comes from this place of self-awareness and self-recognition of like, what makes me me? What makes me different than everyone else? And then how do I tap into that in order to be able to, because that's really authenticity is again, is connecting what makes you special with, you know, and, and knowing that. So first is, the problem, that I, the mistake that I think we make is we just don't take the time and energy to know ourselves. So yeah. we should, as you know, work harder on yourself than your business. My husband's told me that from reading all these self-help books over the years. Um, but it's extremely important as business owners and as people in any type of workplace or any type of job or any type of having any type of audience, we have a responsibility to those who we're talking to, to know what we're talking about when it comes to ourself. Um, so first and foremost, self-awareness. The mistakes that we're making is we're not actually taking the time and energy to get to know ourselves. Then from not knowing ourselves, we're then just imitating what we think is right because we are not actually knowing what sets us apart. And so we don't even see how special we are. So we just think that person's special. Let me act like them. So that's also a mistake. And it's also not fair to yourself because you're not shining in the light that you already have within you. Um, but then the third thing I would say is using the levels is that I really think we get stuck in four and five. And four, again, is structured dependent engagement, which is this instruction base, like I told you, like like this, comment below, whatever. And five is self-regulated interest, which is a lot of incentive-based marketing. So, um, you know, it, sweepstakes, influencer marketing, you know, podcast, again, would be having well-known people on your podcast and then having them be able to share it. That's fine. That's a one tactic. But Six and seven, six critical engagement when you're aspiring someone to set goals to make a difference. And the seventh level, when their personal values and beliefs align, we don't even know those really exist. Like we we talk about them like, oh, I want a big audience and I want to connect with them and I want a million followers or whatever it may be. But we're not actually knowing, we're not using mm -hmm. the language to define what that looks like. So we're settling for, well, we have tons of people commenting and, you know, a lot of people are sharing my podcast and even the sharing isn't, isn't the be all end all. So no, it's not. How can you build off of that and not settle for, I say like, we think we're at the summit, but we're really at base camp. So once you have that audience and you have these people commenting and liking, first of all, always go back to your seventh level statement. Who cares if you're not building off of it? Like when clients come to me, they're like, we want more followers. I'm like, why? Why do you want more followers? What are you going to do with them? How are you going to connect with them? How are you going to build, you know, a community with them outside of social media? If social media went away tomorrow, do you have anything? Or do you just have, you know, the plot, like literally if the world ended tomorrow and all of the social platforms were gone, would you have any way of communicating with your audience other than being dependent on the tools that are around? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good question to ponder. <laughs> and also does that mean you don't really actually have access to anyone because you're so reliant on these tools yeah. to build your own brand. That's the same thing too with Amazon. So, you know, what, how do you create community and how do you inspire people to think differently about their life so that you have 
some type of legacy where they're going to say, okay, but that person changed my life. And that's why I'm going to follow that person. If LinkedIn was, you know, gone tomorrow and now there's this new platform called Joe Schmo (laughs) and they have to start from scratch. (laughs) Joe Schmogram. Joe Schmogram. (laughs) I'm going to follow them on Joe Schmogram because of what they stand for and what they believe in and how they've touched my life, how they've impacted me. Not because, you know, they have a lot of really pretty photos of themselves on beaches. This is some powerful stuff. You got to get the seventh level on Amazon if you want to truly understand this and take your brand to the next level. Amanda, is there anything else you want to say about your book? No. Well, I guess the last thing I'll say, I mean, we've built an entire brand around the book, which is the, again, the seventhlevel.com. But the reason why I say that is because on that site is so, like we have a free three-hour course with HubSpot. We have free worksheets, free, free blogs, free videos, free content, like everything is free to get people to understand how to use this. So the book is one piece of this much larger puzzle of getting people to be able to understand this and apply it to their own lives. And I just want to make that as accessible as possible. So that'd be my one thing. Beautiful. Is there anything else, uh, anything else you, you, you want to talk about, get out before, before we part ways here? Um, well, I would say, you know, we were introduced through the mother's ball, which is an awesome event that's happening, um, in December. And I am, I'm seven months pregnant. And I think, you know, I launched my book this week at seven months pregnant. I actually had a horrible cold because, and I couldn't take medicine because I'm pregnant Oh wow! Um, (laughs) while running a company. And I think, you know, we, we don't necessarily talk about like, this was, it was actually a huge thing for me this week because it was such a juxtaposition where I was like sick in bed and I really couldn't like function. And yet I was very social on social. And so I had this like huge dichotomy where I was like, what is happening? Like I'm having these two yeah. separate lives. Like it's almost like an identity crisis. Yeah. Um, but I think that I just, you know, I, I like to be able to talk about that because I, I think it's a huge part of my life and it's, it's something that I think a lot of women, again, I didn't get to see, if you can't see it, you can't be it. I didn't get to see a lot of women or understand a lot of pregnant women because I live in New York City. Like we don't live in villages anymore where I'm seeing women all the time pregnant around me. It's only like friends or Mm. friends of friends or social media. Um, So I didn't really know what it would be like to be pregnant and still be able to work and function and like go around, be on subways. Like I didn't know it was possible. So I, I think that it's what I would say about that as a woman who was pregnant, who's been running a company and writing a book is that not not what's possible for one person is possible for another. And to really, again, go back to that self-awareness of what feels good for you in that moment um, and take the rest and time, energy and effort you need to you know, do things at your own pace. Um, because again, if I was like doing a crazy book tour last week or and, and forcing myself and pushing myself, it wouldn't have been the best thing for my body. So I lied in bed and, you know, commented on all social platforms yeah. that I was very excited. So anyway, that's what I would say is just a, as a mother to be. Excellent. Yeah, this is uh, this is going to be a powerful episode. It's going to help a lot of people, a lot of brands. Uh, I'm excited to see the, the, the seeds that you've planted in people. Uh, I'm excited to see them grow and sprout over the, the weeks, months, and years to come. Uh, I, I got one of one or two questions left. I know I got sure. to get you. I gotta, I'm watching the time. Okay. Uh, what do you do for fun, Amanda? I'm obsessed with my dog, Chaz. Um, He's a cockapoo. I'm literally obsessed with him. Um, So that's one thing that I do for fun. And then I also, like, I lived in Las Vegas for quite some time, and now I'm back in New York, and it seems so menial, but I'm obsessed with walking. So any, like, we live right by Central Park and Riverside Park, and I just cannot, like, everything to me is walking and then eating. I'm like, 
beyond being pregnant has been the best gift for me ever yeah eating everything and anything but travel eating walking and my dog and you know my husband's not what i is not a hobby but i also enjoy i never bring him up i always bring my dog up so i have to also bring (laughs) up the fact that i like to do things with my husband and my dog (laughs) awesome yeah yeah well the walking thing is really important i was just talking with Alan Gannett, who's uh, who's yes. a, a force in the world of creativity. Yeah, yeah, you know, the si- something. Yeah, something we were talking about. Uh, gosh, it was only a couple of days ago. Was like, you know, walking. You know, and and uh, you know, having you know, without like a phone or anything, like just having that time to think. You know, even Sarah Blakely, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, in in that when I was talking with him, um, you know, even Sarah Blakely has this like time where she drives every day, but with no phone, she it's mm-hmm. she literally calls it her thinking time. And I think it's really important. So, so I, I, I enjoy that too. Uh, my final question, final question, Amanda, is uh, if you could teach a course at a university, a course of your creation or otherwise, what would it be? Well, this is an unfair question because the seventh level, we partnered with HubSpot and we actually turned the seventh level into a course and it's being offered for free um, in November to 1,400 professors and 700 awesome. universities. So it's a 70-page curriculum that we've literally developed um, with HubSpot. So I will be teaching that course after I have a baby. I'll be bringing that baby to universities and teaching about the seventh level and how students could really change the way they're thinking about engagement and then be more equipped to be in workplaces and not just be you know, forced to use social media tools because they're the youngest in the room, but yeah. be actually able mm. to teach others on the importance of such tools um, and being able to increase engagement with, with your audience. So that will be the course that I'm teaching. But I mean, I don't know if that would be, the, I'm trying to think if that would be the course. Maybe I would yeah. like, teach a course around again, like if I like a travel course where it would like bring me to places all over the world. But you know, this is the course that I actually will be teaching. So I'm excited about that. Excellent. Amanda Slavin, you are a rock star. Thank you very much. Thank you. Loved being here. We've reached the end of this episode of Growth Mindset University. For more keys to success and methods to inspire your entrepreneurial spirit, head to jordanparis.com slash course and enroll in our free course to elevate your podcast to the next level. Be sure to pass the show along to someone you know who will benefit from the lessons learned in each episode, and we'll catch you and them on the next episode of Growth Mindset University.